Hello, and welcome to Hopeful Conversations brought to you by Robbie's Hope Foundation. I am your host, Kari Eckert. Joining me today is Heather Aberg, a current therapist and a clinical social worker in private practice. Heather received her degree in psychology from the University of Colorado Boulder and a master's degree in social work from Denver University. Post-college, Heather worked as a bereavement counselor at a hospice in the metro area of Denver for 20 years. Heather, thank you for joining us today on Hopeful Conversations. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start. Can you talk a bit a bit about seasonal affective disorder? And then further, well, just just let you talk about a little bit about seasonal affective disorder. Maybe define it and explain it from your background. From my background, this is a personal and uh, professional sort of way in about what uh, we can call it SAD, if that's okay. That's the acronym for seasonal yes. affective disorder. And um, right, so for those of us who really are affected by our surroundings and the daylight and the the temperature, um, this is something that uh, can affect us when um, the well, particularly in the Colorado winter. So um, those of us who uh, suffer from SAD really notice a difference with daylight savings and the time change that really affects our mood and energy, um, as well as the winter months. We can dip pretty deep into um, some heavy emotion um, and then often feel a lift when spring comes. Um, so I think this is a biological um, part of what happens uh, for some of us. And I'll, I'll go as far as saying many of us who suffer from um, SAD are also um, highly sensitive people. And that's a term uh, coined by a woman who um, I think her name is Elaine Aaron. And you can actually take a test online to see if you are a highly sensitive person. Um, but this affects us greatly. Yeah. We might need to point people to that test. You can send it to me later, the link, and we'll share it. Um, I think that I could will. be very helpful. Is SAD, Seasonal Affective Disorder, is it a like DSM diagnosable condition? Ooh, I don't honestly know. Um, I believe okay. it is. I believe it is because it can affect people so severely, right, that it's, it can be debilitating for some. I pulled it up on Mayo Clinic's website just to kind of prepare, mm -hmm. and it says it's a type of depression that's related to changes in seasons. It begins and ends about the same time every year. If you're like most people with SAD, your symptoms start in the fall and continue into the winter months, um, sometimes zapping your energy and making you feel moody. Mm -hmm. And these symptoms often resolved with the spring and summer. Less often, SAD can cause depression in the opposite time of year, in spring or summer, and resolves during the fall or winter months. Um, treatment for SAD may include light therapy, phototherapy, yeah. psychotherapy, and medications. And then just ends with, don't brush off that yearly feeling as simply a case of the winter blues or a seasonal funk that you have to tough out on your own. Take steps to keep your mood and motivation steady throughout the year. 
Oh, I love that. That is so, that nails it, especially just owning it and embracing it as much as we want to reject it, but just noticing those patterns, seeking the help that we need, um, because those of us who have it, um, it truly does affect our daily living. And I notice a huge difference. And many of my clients do. Um, I find that therapy, uh, in a therapy practice, it's busier during winter months for that reason. Um, you know, I think there's a consistency because most people are in school. Um, but also I think we just have deeper, um, emotion during the winter months. Interesting. Yeah. Can you like give us a little bit of some like signs or symptoms or something that would indicate that an individual potentially would be struggling with seasonal affective disorder or SAD? Something you, you might be able to observe in a loved one? Ooh, yes. Um, I think there's a kind of a lethargy. So someone who tends to be expressive or sort of their, their baseline level drops down in their affect. So they may not be as um, jovial and fun and laughing. Um, they can lose interest in things that um, normally would bring them joy or that they may, um, nor, you know, in the summer months really uh, get excited about. So let's say it's a concert and um, they, they either are iffy about it or they bail at the last minute. Um, so that's a sign and symptom within ourselves too. Um, to me, a lot of depression is the first few thoughts of the, of the day when you wake up, your eyes open and you think of the day ahead and the night, you just, you know, your dreams or whatever. And it kind of, that's when I think um, depression can flood people with, oh, you know, kind of this, here comes another day. And the first like, three thoughts of the day. Yeah. Like what's wow. it all for? Or, oh, you know, the dread of the day. When you're not depressed, those feelings don't seem to come in. So for, for me personally, that is a symptom of, ooh, you know, we're, we're pushing on some stuff here. So for a person that potentially has sad or general depression, those first three thoughts, are they similar? Like, or do they persist throughout the day? Not Like if they're negative or not necessarily? I would say not necessarily because sometimes you can shake it and get going and, you know, kind of get moving and they, they may trickle in, but, um, um, so it's not, I think we all sort of have our best gauge on ourselves. And so I ask people to really put their finger on the pulse of the baseline feeling. It's to me sort of this sweet spot. Um, there's a, a there's something called the window of tolerance, and this is the sweet spot for your energy, your thoughts, um, and then you can go to a hyper arousal state or hypo. And in depression, it can go into hyper, but more often it goes into hypo where there's just this feeling like this dark blanket on everything and everything takes more effort. The, your thoughts just don't, um, they're not as optimistic. Um, it, it really mimic, mimics depression very much, um, but it does have lifts. So depression's a state that's pretty constant. I think in seasonal, um, in sad, we can have these lifts. Um, you go on a 
beach trip and you feel so much better, right? Or you get out for some real sunshine or you, you, I just feel like inside you can come up um, if, if given the right uh, sort of all the stars align, right? The right circumstances versus depression just stays the same. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's different for everyone. Absolutely. And I'm generalizing here to say winter months. The other thing we should point out is, you know, we're mammals. And so winter months is also a time where we have less energy. It is dark out. We don't want to do as much, just sort of maybe naturally. And so tipping into that seasonal affective disorder, I feel like we can dip, my clients kind of can dip in and out depending on circumstances. Hmm. So different for everyone. Yeah. So unique. That's, it's interesting to listen and hear more about. I have to tell you, I don't know a ton about SAD. I think I have some misconceptions about it versus learning from someone like you who has experience with clients and it sounds like with yourself as well. Certainly. Um, so it sounds sad occurs around the same time every year for most people. Is it common for someone to be discouraged as the colder seasons approach, even before the negative effects start settling in? Oh yeah. <laughs> and from, you're right. We're from Colorado. I think we, um, I'm sure you passed people this last month. We're like, Oh, here it comes. It's getting cold. And then you've got your skiers and snowboarders who are like, Oh, here it comes, you know? Uh, and I have both, right. Cause I love to ski, but I also have harder time during the winter months. Um, so absolutely. There's a dread cause it's like, I could just see it with the calendar with the change of season versus mm -hmm. like generalized depression it doesn't always correlate with something else. So in our face. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And there's so much, right? The holidays and thank God for the holidays. I always think that because if it just went dark and we didn't have anything to look forward to, that would be very hard. I would definitely struggle, but holidays to me, there's a lot of joy around that. And so that really helps. Um, but you bet I, there's, so when I work with clients who struggle with sad, this is about the time of year in the fall where we start talking about it. Okay. What's the, what's the plan? What's in your toolbox? And you had mentioned Kari, a couple of the treatment, um, the treatment modalities for oh, yep. light therapy, psychotherapy, and potentially medication. That's right. And I would add on there, if you can afford it, get to a beach. <laughs> Right. And I say, you know, aim for late January or February so that you have a carrot, you know, you've got something to look forward to, but I say, okay, we're going to go um, to natural grocers and get a really good vitamin B and a vitamin D and a fish oil. Um, and there's a whole section at that store for um, stress and and anxiety and such so um then we talk about lights if people want to get one of these lights you can just order it online and i hear they're very effective people really like them yeah you know um scandinavia has been using them for years uh, because it's just so dark in the north right so just having it at your desk it just feels like a regular old light 
Um, and then we talk a lot about sleep hygiene. So I think the, the right, the, <laughs> we want to go to bed really early and keep sleeping, 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 or um, depression can really get us into that hyper aroused state where there's agitation and anxiety and the inability to sleep. So we talk a lot about ritual and sleep hygiene. Um, and also Americans move. don't have good sleep hygiene. It's such yeah. a and teenagers don't have good sleep hygiene just because of the world that they live in and the expectations. How do we establish better sleep hygiene? How is that what you asked? Yeah. So it's all about self-discipline, which is so easy to throw out the window. You know, we've all done it where, oh, I'll just watch one more episode. No, no, no. Okay. And I like having um, clients sort of pair up with a friend who's struggling or a parent so that there's some accountability. Because I don't know about you, Kari, but I'm like, oh, all I'll do is I'll start that tomorrow. But if the next day I talk to a friend that says, okay, did you put your phone away at whatever time we agreed on? Did you um, have a bedtime snack? Because we know that um, blood sugar drops in the middle of the night around two or three. And that's a lot, especially adults were like, bing, you know, <laughs> arousal. And then you wake up. Yes. Yeah. The body's like, okay, low blood sugar. And it doesn't feel like hunger necessarily. But um, so I really get people to strategize with someone else to say, you know, we're going to take these um, measures. We're going to get on a good sleep pattern and we're human. So I say, hey, you know, blow it all out on 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 Friday or Saturday, just throw everything out the window. You can stay up all night. I don't care. But those other six nights, you know, I really, we have to practice that discipline of going to bed on time, finding the strategies that work. Um, it could be like YouTube offers um, sounds, like certain uh sound waves that are supposed to be calming. They're like gongs, kind of, you put them in the background. Some people like white noise. Um, room temperature is very important. Um, sometimes, you know, I think for highly sensitive persons, it's, it's really hard because of anxiety and the spinning, the ruminating that happens before bed. So in therapy, I work a lot on um, grounding rituals and like breathing exercises and visualization and that helps why do you think there's a correlation between like a highly empathetic is, is that the right word like an empathetic individual and sad well you know so as a highly sensitive person and and that can make you very empathic for sure it can also tip toward um you know, it's such an interesting thing. So we have a highly sensitive persons group, actually. Um, and I've identified that many people are um, introverts. Uh, many are empaths. Some, some have autism. Um, many are LGBTQ. Um, many seek counseling. Um, so it's as Heather's definition. My senses are on fire. All five senses are on fire all the time. So I is that what you're defining as highly sensitive? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily like a negative term. You know, in our culture, uh, it feels very negative. If does I it? Had known, it does. It feels like, oh, Heather, you're so sensitive. Or 
you know, I'll only go to concerts of a certain type of music. I'm not going to go to the big, big, loud ones. Um, or if I may go out, I'm going to take my own car because I will be leaving probably early or just knowing I could take my own car feels really safe to me. Um, does that make sense? So uh -huh. I feel the world. Like I hear everything, smell everything. I feel what you can't see. So I feel people's energy as an empath. I, you know, I can't watch those dog rescue videos because even though it's a happy ending, I'm like, oh, <laughs> just really it's so hard. And so I do think light is a really, um, it's so important to me and to be able to move my body is so important to me. So seasonal affective disorder to me, it just kind of, that link makes a lot of sense to me that I'm taking in so much information from my environment that when it goes dark, I really struggle. I don't think it's always, you know, I, I actually know it's not true for everyone, everyone, but I think highly sensitive folks really have to be careful. Um, the other person, the other uh, group that fits into highly sensitive people um, are bright-minded people. So- Bright-minded um, people. Can you explain and I that? They hate being called gifted. So oh. I'm a calm, bright-minded, but it could be an artist. It could be um, the really academic, gifted folks tend to be highly sensitive people as well. And are often, um, uh, often struggle with changes in weather and light. Oh, interesting. Yeah, this Here is we... just my observations. <laughs> That's fair. That's why we're here having this conversation. Your observations, you have a lot of experience. Um, it's super helpful to those of us that are just trying to learn. Um, I, I was kind of hopeful. I had heard that Colorado wasn't going to participate in daylight savings time in 2023. And then I had to go back and look and I was corrected in my, it's like Governor Polis signed um, with 18 other states to um they're trying to get the federal government to get away with um daylight savings time but colorado is still going to participate it's, it's surprising with that fall back that one hour what it does in the evening for that like outlook that you have at that time of the day what we know kari about depression is it tends to seep in most late in the day <sighs> really <sighs> And when we're alone, I mean, you think about that's when we're isolated and that's when we're tired. That's when it's dark. Um, and that's when depression, anxiety, like to really creep in. So paying attention to that, being really deliberate about um, making sure a couple nights a week, you know, you're out doing something social or something that's fun. Um, and also exercising, you know, even in this season when there, the darkness does hit the clock at four thirty, five o'clock, yeah. you're encouraging people to get out and to not self-isolate. Absolutely. Even a 10 minute movement, or there's so much on YouTube now that gets you going and sweating, you know, just 20 minutes will make such a big difference. Hmm. Yeah. Kind of strikes me, um, Robbie died in October and I very clearly remember the weather, the first, um, the days prior to his death. 
um, somewhat unusual for Colorado. We had, um, I mean, we're so blessed here in the state of Colorado to have such beautiful weather. What do we have? Don't they say we have like 300 days of sunshine a year? Mm-hmm. Um, but the week of Robbie's death, there was about three to four days of um, gloom, I would call it. Um, and it was certainly getting darker. It was definitely leaves everywhere. Um, but just we really had a, a cold snap, if you will. Um, and Robbie did die in the early evening. And I just kind of sometimes reflect on that. Um, that's interesting for you to say that depression hits people more in the later part of the day. Um, thank you for sharing that. I think it's something good to be aware of. And, you know, having the tools in your toolbox, that's what we talk about a ton at Robbie's Hope, um, mm-hmm. to encourage um, kids to find their tools for parents to Um, make sure that kids have those tools. And I think as an adult, we all need those tools. What do we do to practice better sleep hygiene, to be effective or be aware of that change in the season? Um, Mm. Interesting stuff. Wouldn't you say, Kari, that so much of it is self-discipline? Like how often do you really want to go exercise and break a sweat for 20 minutes? And do you ever regret it? Never, right? But I think about, as an adult, we get better at just forcing ourselves. I think when I was an adolescent, Robbie's age, I just didn't even, I just wish someone had talked to me about it, but I just wasn't aware of what worked and some, not every tool works every time. So with years and wisdom, you just understand to keep pushing on. Do you think Robbie was a highly sensitive person? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like light, he, he absolutely sound, um, like, Mm. yeah, I do think he was. And I also, Robbie was highly empathetic towards others in a really beautiful way. And, um, I see that as such a good trait. Is that fair? Absolutely. It's, it's a fantastic trait. And it's one of the hardest things, right, is to, especially in the world as it is right now, you know, it's just hard to be an empath and to stay strong. It's really easy to um, take on so much of others' pain. Um, and, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I, oh, go ahead. At the beginning of our conversation, how you mentioned like um, being labeled as highly sensitive. I can remember that as a teenager. Um, and I can remember that it didn't feel good. Um, right. And now as an adult, I wear that label kind of more with pride, like because I am sensitive to a lot of different things. Um, it allows me to maybe connect with others. But like you just talked about, that's through experience and through my own self-discipline, seeing it and seeing my sensitivity and a lens that I allow to be positive versus when I was younger, when I was a teenager, you know, being on the defense about that, like, oh, you're really sensitive. If you just weren't sensitive, you wouldn't have a problem with that. I can remember um, having other people say that to me, mostly adults. Oh, yeah. Friends sometimes too, even well-meaning, but observing like, oh, um, 
Yeah. And I wish, Kari, don't you think it would have been helpful back then for someone to say, oh, this is, you're highly sensitive. And Elaine Aaron um, says 25% of us are highly sensitive people. That includes animals, which I always find fascinating, right? Um, but if I had found the other HSPs, uh, which I did. HSP, highly sensitive people. Okay. Right? I got sensitive. that. Right. Um, if I had found the others, which I did sort of gravitate to, uh, that would have helped if I'd had my own club that, you know, on Friday nights, we wouldn't go to big parties. Rather, we would just do, you know, a small group with softer music. <laughs> um, I would have felt so much better. And just, I totally agree that there's a beauty to it. And there, there's a, it's amazing to be a highly sensitive person because I do think when we see beauty, we feel it. Every cell feels it. And when we connect with someone, it's at this such soul level. And so there's so much wonderful strength to it. Um, and we can tip to taking care of people too much. It's really easy um, because it's our natural strength. Um, and so I think it's so important to learn techniques of, this is going to sound so silly, but as a grief counselor for 20 years, I had to learn, I was raising my kids and I had a private practice and such. So I had a vortex at the stoplight where the office was, is as I would leave, I would deliberately leave this, this, the emotion behind me as I drove through the stoplight and with every exhale, I would let go of each person, a colleague, a client, a, um, a loved one of a client. So I just deliberately would drive home like with this trail of breaths behind me. And so that was an example of a way that I learned to adapt because I had to be present for my family and I couldn't, I can't take everybody's um, story and pain with me or I would drown. Right. And so it's important. It doesn't mean I don't care, but for all you HSPs out there, find your way of releasing, um, and try not to carry everyone else's stuff. Mm. That's really good advice. Um, I, back when in my funeral directing days, I, um, don't think I had that tool in my toolbox to be able to do that. I think I brought a lot of the families that I was caring for home and mm -hmm. I'm grateful that I had a husband that was willing to listen, um, and kind of help me go through it. But, um, yeah, highly sensitive people in the workforce, highly sensitive people as teenagers, um, it's complex, but being able to recognize it and figure out what works for you at this moment. That's right. That's right. And to find tools that work for you, you don't have to seek counseling. You don't have to go to therapy, but to be able to name it, identify it, find out where it lives in your body, just kind of be curious and stand back and say, wow, where do I feel it? And what color is it? And does it have a texture and how am I going to extract it from me and make sort of a ritual of this and sort of cleanse myself so that I can carry on. And so with 
the winter months coming, it's a great time to exercise that, right? Because we have our own stuff, um, the own our own perhaps heaviness because of uh, the darkness. Um, but other people around us um, who just are human or are also struggling through winter months, it's so important to be able to um, create a little buffer between between those. So important to take care of ourselves. You know, it's just as, as or more important than physical health. Absolutely. With your experience, you talked a little bit about the holidays. I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Um, like what kind of tools do you talk about with clients and people who potentially struggle with SAD or -hmm. with depression, um, to get through the holidays? Is there any, and particularly for teenagers? You bet. You know, I think the holidays bring to me, it's music and food and merriment, family. It's also a change in schedule from the school schedule. You've got all this time off. So again, sort of setting up for the holidays and as best as you can commit to a few things and grab a friend to do the same thing and say, we're going to exercise. We're going to um, be creative together. We're, we're going to commit to journaling together, or we're going to paint. Um, we're going to go do something expressive this often through the holiday months or the holiday season. Um, for, I think just, I need to say it, that for many, you know, like for you and Jason, having lost a son, the holidays take a different flavor. They're just different. And to be able to acknowledge it, um, pace yourself, be able to say no to things that you don't want to go to. So looking within to say, is this for me or is this for someone else? Because maybe you don't want to go. Um, and for those who are grieving, take your own car. <laughs> Tell If you're going to RSVP, just say, I am a solid maybe. And, you know, don't count on me. I'm not going to come and eat. So don't make extra food, but I'm a solid maybe. Um, and giving yourself some real permission to um, go day by day, moment by moment. Um, Such a good advice kind of for everyone. I feel like I've learned this through lived experience. Like the more we stay in the moment, um, saying no to others is saying yes to yourself. Oh my gosh. And yes to your family oftentimes, right? To just be able to um, tone it down and really listen to what your needs are. And and I, with the caveat of sometimes I don't want to go and make myself go and I love that I went, right? That often You do have to make yourself sometimes. Like we can't self-isolate all of the time. Uh, That's another fear is isolation, right? So finding, striking that balance, figure out how much do I need to be out and how much is too much time at home, right? How much is too much time isolated? Um, the other thing about holidays is the sugar and the alcohol intake goes way up. And we know both of these, well, alcohol is a depressant and too much sugar just doesn't help anybody. <laughs> it's delicious. I love sugar, but, you know, trying to pace yourself and um, be deliberate about that, the intake as well. 
That's good advice. Most people, like I've never thought about that, but the correlation is so true in all parts of your body with sugar and as a, with an adult consuming alcohol. Absolutely. That's right. I know for the holidays for myself, since my loss, um, just like any holiday, actually kind of most days is really being intentional, like really trying to have a plan. Um, I remember at the very beginning, like you said, take your own car. Um, I still make those types of decisions and plans, even at the four year mark. Um, You know, what is Thanksgiving gonna look like? Um, And I certainly know that I have to be flexible. It's not always Kari's way. Um, there's other people around me that get to have a part of it and their emotions and their feelings um, come into play. But um, I know for like Jason and I communicating what that plan is ahead of time um, is so, so helpful versus just kind of, I don't know, I think before I thought other people should be able to read my mind and know what I want. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is such a great point. I love that. Deliberate with flexibility um, and knowing people are not mind readers, right? Um, Because you just look like Kari on the outside. You look great. But on the inside, you may just be burning with grief. And to be able to express that and just say it's a really hard day or I'm so sorry I meant I really intended to come or I've got to leave. Um, But just to say it and um, I find with grief that if, if you say Robbie's name, it's, it gives permission for others to talk about Robbie if you bring him up. Um, but if you don't, many people won't. Um, so I'm that- super grateful so many people do bring Robbie's name up. And mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes when I bring his name up, like um, I would say 90% of the time when I bring Robbie's name up, it's because I'm happy because I'm like, I am so grateful for Robbie's life and for what he brought to my life and to those lives around us. Um, and I, I don't know if that's different for a lot of people who have experienced loss, like that there's a sadness when they bring their loved one's name up for, but for me, like, it's just because I'm like remembering a memory. Like, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Is that for, in all of your bereavement work? Am I the norm or am I not the norm? Um, you're not the norm, Kari. <laughs> just here to tell you, I think you and Jason are just amazing because what you've done with your loss is lift Robbie and lift your experience. And here you have this, you have Robbie's hope and you've taken something so hard, the hardest and used this experience and Robbie's life to help so many people. You are not the norm. (laughs) Um, It's just fantastic. I mean, that's why it's so um, inspiring. And I'm just in awe of you and Jason and what you have done. Thank you. It's, um, we're so, so grateful. And we wouldn't be doing this work if it wasn't for these amazing teenagers who I know you spend a lot of time with as well. I get so much from kids and just helping them, um, you know, kind of get out what they're feeling to other adults and so that we can have better dialogue and better communication. Um, I, it's all for the teens and it's, I'm so grateful that I get to be on their side. I'm so, so grateful. 
wrapping up our discussion about sad, what have I not asked or what else does like our audience need to know? Um, I guess one last tip, very therapy like, but to be able to name it to tame it is one of our things. Just, just even saying, yeah, I really suffer in the winter months, um, can, can help. And the other, I would say, and this is true of grief and it's true of any emotion is to lean into it. We so often want to reject it and push it away and get busy or check out um, and deny it because we think it's wrong or bad and no emotion is wrong or bad, right? And so to be able to say, yeah, today's just a heavy day. I'm just not feeling it. Um, I just feel like I got bricks tied to my feet or whatever. I do think pressing into it. So if you go to school or you go to work and you're not feeling great, we all wear this mask that we're fine. Sometimes we're not fine. It's okay to take it off and be vulnerable because that's how we connect. Some people are going to run far from you. Others are going to say, oh, they're there and that's okay. Right? So if we can learn to talk about it, I do think we can really change the way that um, we communicate and help one another. Name it to tame it. Name it to tame it and lean and, into it. And lean into it. I totally agree. I think we were wearing masks prior to COVID with our emotions. Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Heather, this has been fantastic. I so, so appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining me today on a hopeful conversation talking about seasonal affective disorder. Um, and to our listening audience, be sure to tune in to our next episode. And until there, then, remember, hope holds on pain ends.